Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. This is something that I think a lot of people actually need to take care of. I was, I was uh, saying this before the freeze, and yes, we're definitely going to been having a lot of talks about this since the freeze. So it comes from Dawn and Lake Dallas. We were blessed that none of our water pipes froze during the big freeze. However, some of our neighbors were not so fortunate. I was wondering if putting the black foam wrapping around the pipes, including the elbows, would help to keep them from freezing in the future, or is there something else that I can do? Thank you in advance for any information you can provide, Don. Without question, you want to insulate the pipes, and using that black uh, foam that you put around the pipes, the pipe wrap, is exactly what you want to be doing and you hit a real key point make sure you wrap the elbows and corners and all that stuff as well so often people do the straight run but they leave the elbows open and they can still freeze so you you cut the the pipe wrap at a 45 degree angle so when you put them together everything is covered and yes that will make a huge difference for you and everybody needs to be doing that if we would all insulate our pipes better we wouldn't be talking about running out of water because everybody left their water running hello joe hi jim thanks for taking my call my pleasure i have a question uh home was involved in the the freeze that we had for several days and i had three leaks and i had it's so hard to get a plumber right after that. I had a handyman fix my three leaks, and then I had no water pressure after we got the water back on. So he he blew out with the air compressor all the filters on every faucet, and now I have water pressure on the hot water but none on the cold water. Should I let him keep doing this or just call a, rep- a plumber? I, is it sound like a simple are, something? Are all the faucets on the cold side not working or just one? I believe it's all the faucets on the cold side. Okay. That that means somewhere after the cold water passes the water heater that there's a plug in the, in the line. And so, yeah, typically you're just going to have to flush the line out. Now, I, I will tell you, plumbers normally aren't blowing the lines out with air compressors uh they're normally flushing lines with water and such but um there's more than likely a screen filter somewhere that's plugged up that's causing this just but the cold water comes through the hot water so it would be well the the hot water tank what happens is the cold water comes in and lines will start teeing off from the cold water line one of the lines goes to the water heater and then from from the water heater, it goes out to all the hot water areas. Well, obviously, somewhere after the T that goes to the water heater, there's a plug. Because otherwise, everything else would be working. If it's just a hot side working and no cold water, that means there's a plug in the line after it goes to the water heater. Okay. Is this something that just a handyman could do, or do I really need to call a plumber to, to do it? do you think 
Yeah. <laughs> Technically, you're supposed to call a plumber. A right. handyman. A handyman doesn't hold a license to do that type of repair because you're talking about potable water and doing the wrong thing can contaminate not only your water but everybody else's. Okay. Um, but if the line can be followed and a filter is found or a screen or something, let him clean it out. But I, I would not start doing a bunch of air compressors lining or uh, bl- blasting through Long. the pipe. Okay. Well, he just mainly used it to bl- clean that little filter at the yep. end of your faucet. Yeah. You know, that filter's right there. And he showed it to me. It was real dirty. He said, I'm just going to blow this filter out, put it back on. Yep. And then we had, then we had water pressure on, yep. the co- on the hot side. But Yeah. All right. Thanks for that information. I appreciate it. Sandra in Richmond. How can I help you? Well, I've got a... Um, first of all, thanks for having me on. But uh, I've got to put large sheets of tile, like a, a 17 by 17 tile mm-hmm. over a wooden subfloor with the smallest possible rise. And the floor that I'm wanting to put it on is um, probably needing to be replaced first. It's had some water damage and I don't fully trust it. Okay. So is there something, I understand that there's a, you know, that using the concrete backer board is considered essential. Uh, that lifts it up a little higher than I would like. Um, but I've also heard of uh, DITRA. Is that the membrane that, like a decoupling membrane you put under there? Yeah, that, that's yeah. It's a membrane that you can put under. But you're putting this down on a wood subfloor. How thick is it? Well, it's the the standard three quarter inch. So okay. I do, can I support it from underneath? So, you know, can I reinforce that floor underneath to minimize the rise, or is that not practical? It's really not practical. Uh, you're you're running into a, a bigger issue though. You you you're using a very large tile, and yeah. you're going on a three quarter inch substrate, and typically going underneath or going onto wood that way, you want yeah. a minimum of inch and a quarter. Right. Right. And the reason for that, that that three quarters has a little give to it. Yeah. And the bigger the tile, the more likely you are when it has that little give, it's going to crack right. the tile. Yeah. And no amount of reinforcing up underneath it can mitigate that. If I go with another three-quarter inch, that's not uh, going to really how, help. How you, you're talking about crawling under the house and putting it up under there? Yeah, because it's actually elevated. The house is elevated. Yeah. So it, that, that would not yeah, be that's to not gonna but, That's not going to solve the problem because – then you're putting it between the floor joists instead of on top of the floor joists. Yeah. And I couldn't just reinforce with, a, a, you know, crosswise joists. I know that doesn't support fully, but that's not a bad, well, that's not you, a good idea. Well, you it? could, but you're going to spend a fortune to do it. Yeah. Why, why, can't, it, you ha- why can't you go, you, you keep, you've mentioned a couple times now, you can't uh, raise it any thicker. How come? Well, because it's not a full tile floor, it's only going to be a strip of tile near um, the opening. Okay. And then, then I'm going with laminate beyond that, and so the transition between the laminate and the tile, uh, I don't want it to be a tripping hazard. Raise it under the laminate as well. Raise under the laminate too. Ooh, that's going to be expensive too to, to redo the you know to add to that entire floor. 
It wouldn't be near as expensive as trying to go underneath and put support. Really? That flooring that I've, that I've priced is, is not cheap. And it's a large area that would have to be fully right, uh, elevated. Mm-hmm. So that's the best bet. Yeah. The, oh, the unfortunate really? truth is, yeah, that's the... And, and granted, I mean, it, it's not going to be cheap, but yeah. how big an area are you talking about that you're putting this tile? Uh, the tile itself needs to be one tile wide by uh, 20 long, roughly 20. And so oh. it's going to be, you know, an 18-inch wide strip there. Okay. Versus a, you know, raising the entire floor that's 24 by, yeah. by 30. Okay. Yeah, doing one strip that way, you could get away with going underneath and and putting uh, cross bracing. Is it is it an area that's going to be walked on a lot? All the time. Okay. Yeah. Then you it's definitely would want to... You want to go underneath and put cross bracing, probably every twelve inches. Okay. And and it it doesn't have to be a, another two by six. It could be just a two by four that's up in there, that okay goes all the way up to the floor deck. They can use either screws or a, an air nailer to nail it in to hold it in place because all it's for is to take any um, sag that could okay. happen when you step on it. Um, yeah. But just give you an idea, you're probably going to be looking at. Oh, you said how how long did you say? Twenty feet, roughly twenty by hmm. the the width of the one tile, you know, basically right. eighteen inches. So you're probably going to be looking at around a grand to do that. Okay. All righty. Well then. On top of that subfloor that's already there, I would not then use the... the... No, nah, you wouldn't have to put anything. You can put it straight down on the wood. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's I was... I, you tell me. <laughs> I, would... <laughs> I made somebody happy today. Uh, <laughs> you did. Yeah. I, I will tell you one other thing. You have... Okay. Take a look underneath. You have one other choice on, on this that... Okay. Buy extra tile. Yeah. Don't do a darn thing. Put the tile in, and if one cracks, you can replace oh. that one. And if right. that becomes an issue, then you go underneath and put the bracing. That's brilliant. That is really brilliant. Thank you very much. That's an excellent. Because you're talking such a small area, it won't cost you that much to to have a, a few extra pieces. And if it starts right. becoming a problem, then you brace it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Thank you so much. That's very You're helpful. welcome. Sandra, good luck Thank with you. that floor. Thank you kindly. Bye-bye. We're going over to Willowbrook. Gil, how are you? Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Pretty good. Um, I have two questions. One, I have uh, double entry doors, you know, wooden. And so when it's real humid, they tend to stick. Yep. I want your thoughts on that. The wood is expanding probably. you got a real tight tolerance, and wood expands and contracts with the humidity changes. And so when it expands, uh, it's getting too tight. You may have to shave it down just a little. Oh, so that's the only solution, you believe? Uh, well, without looking at it, I mean, that's yeah. that's more than likely what it is. 
Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. All right, let's head to League City. George, how are you? I'm doing excellent, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Good. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Well, my uh, neighborhood got hammered by that freeze because we were without power for two and a half days. And so there's a lot of repiping going on and whatnot. And I am curious as to what the expected lifetime or longevity of specifically CPVC, because that's what my home was plumbed with, or even PVC for the benefit of your other cust- you know, customers listening. Right. Because um, some people are saying, oh, this stuff is brittle. It's, my house was built in 1983, you know, so it's whatever. So I'm just kind of curious uh, how concerned I should be about the type of piping that was in my home. I did not have any breaks. I drained my, my house, uh, but, but not so many of my neighbors were, did do yeah. that. So, but I'm just curious about the future. There is no question that the pipe does get brittle as it ages, but it still has a pretty good expected lifespan. So uh, had it not frozen and started breaking those pipes, I don't think anybody would be having any issues with them for probably another 20 years or so. Okay, well, longer than I will be in my home. <laughs> I've been in my home since 85. It was built in 83. Um, like I said, I drained my pipe Sunday night, and uh, I didn't have any problems. But uh, there's a whole lot of people, of course, that either let them drip or, you know. Yeah. Uh, some people said they drained and still had breaks, but there could be low spots, and there's dips in lines and the way they stupidly plumb some things. There could be a you know a spot where water will stand unless you Absolutely. blow it clear. Yep. So, you know, uh, I was just, we were just very fortunate other than you know, being cold. <laughs> the, yeah, the the original expected life, I think, was 50 years of those pipes. And, you know, there's no okay. reason to think that they won't go well beyond that. Okay. What What is the difference between CPVC and PVC, just out of curiosity? What's... CPVC is specifically designed for hot water, and it can be oh. used on both hot and cold. PVC oh. cannot be used on hot water. Ah, learned something. Thank you very much. You bet. So, nope, that was my question, though, because I heard a lot of people saying, oh, these pipes are brittle. Of course, these are just homeowners. They're not plumbers. You know, they're yeah. they're just speculating as well and, and, uh, and whatnot. But yeah, uh, they, they, just they, just, they just plain were not designed to freeze that way. Uh, it, oh, no. The, the, no. It, will, it will not handle it at all. Well, and these homes were not built for 15 degrees either. No, so, no, we we built the we you, built the homes for for cooling them, not for heating them. Yeah, when you've got pipe PVC or CPVC going across the tops of rafters, totally yeah. exposed to the attic, it do, you know it doesn't take much. It doesn't have to go down to 15 to freeze them. <laughs> no, so, I'm, well, you know, let, let's face it, we're yeah. planting palm trees. We're not. You know, so we're not expecting that kind of weather. Yeah, but um, I know that uh, in 83, I was told that uh, a pipe did break in this home. Mm-hmm. In 89, a pipe froze along that same line that broke before. and uh, But unfortunately, it did not break. So that's yeah. I told people that I, I drained my pipes. So I'm like, I, I'll drain them. If it says it's going to down to like 26 or so, it takes me five minutes to drain my pipes. Yep. So Insulate them just and off. drain them, and you won't have a problem. Yeah, I turn them off. I turn it off the city main and open every single spigot. And even though we lost power, uh, I did. Ha- I do have generators, 
So I was able to put a drop light in, in one area where between the city uh, shutoff and where the first spigot is to try and help keep it warm as well. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I had a generator. So, But yep. yeah, that's the information I, I wanted, and maybe it could help some of your other uh, listeners as well. Thank you, sir, and have a pleasure. You bet. Day. Take care. Tom, how are you today? Yes, good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I have a, a house that was built in uh, 77 uh, and um, oh, probably 10 or 15 years later, I had uh, uh, piers put in because of some settling. And I think I've lost some uh, visqueen as a result of that. So I'm experiencing some uh, moisture coming through the cement and getting on the back of the carpet pad. Uh, Efflorescence, I believe, is what it is. You know, it's a white, powdery substance. And uh, I was wanting to come in and possibly put some kind of flooring in, but I was afraid of, of, of trying to do that because of the moisture content that I may be dealing with. Can you help me with that? Well, you know, it, it's not going to be from the visqueen because typically, the you know, the reason the visqueen was put down was to keep the soil from pulling the moisture out of the concrete too fast when they pour the concrete. Uh, oh. The longer the moisture stays in it, the less surface cracking, or I shouldn't say surface, but the less hairline cracking you get in the concrete uh, by letting it okay. cure slower that way. Um, oh, I see. What, what's okay. happened for, for most of us is the soil level as a house ages continues to go up because we mow the yard, uh, leaves fall off trees, all that stuff decays, uh, the grass decays, turns to dirt. And it's just steadily raising the dirt level. So when a house is new, you got five, six inches of slab showing. And it gets to be 30, 40 years old. Now you got three inches. Well, you're into the four-inch mat part of the slab then. Moisture does travel through concrete, and we start getting it coming up. So typically it's a drainage issue that's causing these problems. And there's a lot of people who are having them. The efflorescence is actually when you start getting this stuff that, that comes up that looks like cotton candy. Uh, and right. that's a chemical reaction with the stone and cement and stuff in the concrete that when moisture gets to it, it causes a chemical reaction that allows this stuff to to blossom. Uh, okay. There are some coatings you can put down for effervescence. Um, Quickcrete makes a coating that you can put down as well as a company called Deitch Coatings, D-A-I-C-H Coatings. And uh, they're not foolproof, but they make it a lot better than it is now. So if and, I put a, a, a quick quick product or a Deitch, a D-A-I-C-H coating on the floor, would, uh, would, would it be all right to put a vinyl floor on top of it? You I, know, I, the vinyl part. Vinyl plank you can get away with. A wood floor you you will not get away with. Right, I anticipated that. Uh, yeah, with ceramic now, tile be right too. Ceramic tile will be fine as well. Carpet will be okay. About the only floor yeah. you got to avoid is going to be a, a wood floor. And if you'll go over to like a floor and decor store, uh, they've got water um, resistant and waterproof floors that are plank type uh you know the the vinyl planks 
look just like wood floors, go in real easily, yeah. and you don't have to worry about the moisture then. Yeah. Okay. What what in uh in Spring, Texas, what can I can I anticipate by my humidity to be in my home when uh nothing is running? You know, no air, you know, it's like right now I wouldn't have any air or heat on. What very close very close to whatever the outside humidity level would be at the time. Okay. <laughs> okay. If it's a little higher, what's going on? Well, the the outside humidity level goes up and down as the sun goes up. So at, yeah. at night, it actually a lot of times will climb up some. During the day when the sun comes out, it dries the air up. And so the outside humidity level goes down, but the inside is not exposed to the sun. It's not going down. So you actually can end up with it higher in the house. Okay. So I, I've got... Uh... Uh, I've got this rock and French drains as well as pipes draining the home, draining the water from the back of the house. I got okay. downspouts coming down and dumping into uh, dumping into chutes. It's either running underground into the street or running away from the home. I, I really can't do too much uh, to keep the water from the house other than what I've done, can I? Not really. Okay. So I've about, I've done about all I can do there. You know, about the only thing you can do that might improve it, and I, I, I'd have to look and see what all you have, but a deep French drain that's probably, I don't know, three, three, four feet deep with a sump oh, I don't pump. have it. That's... And yeah, that, okay. that can capture it and pump it away yeah. and keep the moisture from going under the house, but I think you've probably pretty much done what you can do at this point. Yeah, okay. Okay. You've been very kind. Thank you so much. You're you're very welcome. Have a good afternoon. David, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, hello. How are you doing? Wonderful. Uh, Mike, I have some questions about PEX uh, plumbing of, of material. Okay. I understand. Okay. Uh, okay, number one, I understand there's different grades of it. Number two, what's the life expectancy and, uh, expectancy? and number three, I understand rodents like to eat on it. Well, the first thing, uh, take a look at Upanor. That's the brand I use uh, and fittings I use. Love it. That that system works really well. Um, as far as rodents eating on it, yes, there have been cases of rodents eating on it, uh, but there's been cases of rodents eating on electric wires and, and uh, PVC pipes as well. So, yeah, it can happen, but... Truthfully, if the rodents are eating on it, it's because you got a, a rodent problem that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, um, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So I wouldn't let that stop me at all. Unless you know you've got a, an issue with that, then yes, it, it could it could be an issue what about, for them. What about life expectancy? Uh, you know, life expectancy is in excess of 50 years. Really? That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got yeah. a great life expectancy. And, David, I hate to do this to you, but that music means I am completely out of time, well, so I'm going to have to let you go with that. There's one more thing. Uh, check In 1821, Galveston Bay froze over. Look that up. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that, uh, yeah, we, we all think climate change. This has been going on for, for years and years, so it's, it's not like it's something brand new to all of us. Well, let's start with uh, James from Rawlett. 
we bought a metal gazebo pavilion last summer for our patio deck, not realizing that the metal roof would generate as much heat underneath as it does. Is there anything that we can coat the underneath roof with or install that would offer some heat insulation that wouldn't mar the aesthetic look of the roof or pavilion? Thanks for any help you can offer, Jim. All right. Anytime you're dealing with a metal roof, if you're wanting to make it more comfortable underneath, the best thing is a radiant barrier. Unlike insulation, the radiant barrier simply blocks the heat transfer. And for metal roofs, metal buildings, things like that, they actually make a, a radiant barrier that looks like bubble wrap. Now, you hear me talk about go, you know, getting in contact with uh, Energy Q all the time, but for the metal buildings for metal roofs like this you know just go over to Lowe's or Home Depot and you will find a four foot wide roll of the bubble wrap type radiant barrier and that will do amazing to lower that temperature underneath that roof and make it a lot more comfortable now are you going to be looking at at a, a different color up there absolutely but it beats that heat and let's face it, when the sun starts beating on that stuff, it can easily get to be well in excess of 100 degrees, even when it's only 85 outside, because that metal heats up and it's just like a, a skillet, a, a, an iron skillet, where it's just radiating heat. So go get you some of that bubble wrap type radiant barrier. Mark, welcome to KRLD. Hey, thanks for talking to me today. I appreciate it. Hey, my, my pleasure. Glad you called. Absolutely. I've got a, our house, uh, we had pipes break, and so house completely flooded. So they just finished uh, demoing our all the inside, all the wet carpet, flooring and sheetrock and all that's out. So my wife and I are thinking about moving some things around now that we have this sort of a blank slate now. Yeah. And I've got, about, my house is about 2,650 square feet. It's a three-bedroom, three-bath. And one of the uh, master obviously has a bath, and then uh, the two other bedrooms share a Jack and Jill, and then we have this hall bath that just has like a small half shower in it, and it backs up to the master. We were thinking of, you know, we've always wanted a bigger master bedroom. Am I going to be hurting myself on resale if I expand my master and get rid of that bathroom? The Jack and Jill, is it open to a hallway as well as the bedrooms? So the Jack and Jill is actually, it, I say Jack and Jill, it just opens the, for the other two bedrooms. It actually just has a hallway. When I first bought the house, I hated the Jack and Jill with the two doors. Right. The doors go, so I got rid of the doors and just sheetrocked them. And so now to get to that bathroom, well, those two other bedrooms go into a small hallway to get to them. Okay. And then the third bathroom uh, backs up to the master. Right. It's a hall bathroom that we never use, honestly. Yeah, well, and, and the only reason I ask that is as long as you have a bathroom that is accessible for everybody not without having to go through a bedroom, then right. you're not going to really hurt the, the value uh, by changing, you know, pulling that space into the master bath and, and bedroom. Okay, okay, good, because I would love, we'd love a little bit bigger bedroom, uh, especially if we'd ever use that bathroom really at all. Well, and, and the secondary question to that is, you got any plans for moving anytime in the next five, ten years? No, it's probably, I'm in my mid-50s, so probably another ten years minimum until we uh, retire and, and maybe move somewhere else. 
make the house the way you want it then. Okay, that's what we were thinking too. Don't worry about the resale. Someone else can mess with it. Exactly. Okay, thanks, Jim. <laughs> you Appreciate bet. you taking the time, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. 214-787-1080. Yeah, I mean, if you're staying in the house long-term, always make it the way you want it. If you get ready, I mean, you're, you're going to sell a house, say, 10, 15, 20 years from now. You have time to change it back if you want. But quite honestly, as long as you keep two full baths, you're not going to have any big issues. John, welcome to KRLD. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I live in a condo complex, and about this this complex is probably 45 years old. About um, a year and a half ago, they decided to level the floors in each building. And uh, when they got through, my floor is anything but level. And frankly, I was wondering, under Texas law or county county uh, or city ordinance, what is the situation with someone who does that kind of business? Do they, are they registered? Do they, are there certain things that are required? I have heard that after the work is done, an engineer should go through and inspect and approve the work. Can you enlighten me on it? And this is on foundation repair, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I happen to be in the foundation repair business. I own I own Due West Foundation Repair. So, yeah, I can enlighten you on it. Well, they should have called you. <laughs> they should have called me. That's exactly right. But uh, there is no licensing in Texas. And I, I will tell you, I tried like hell to get licensing passed because there are so many fly-by-night guys who don't do it the right way. Uh, yes, you're supposed to pull a permit. Uh, what is it within the city limits of Dallas? Yes, it is. Dallas requires an engineer's report before and a report after uh, the work is done. Uh, the engineer or his designee is supposed to do the inspection. And what happens is a lot of the engineers will let the contractor do their own inspection, and they just write the report. Um, so it, it kind of doesn't serve the, the, the intended purpose. Um, I was going to say, why even bother? Uh, exactly. Um, and, did, let me ask you another question. If, sure. if an engineer is supposed to inspect the work, I guess that would mean that he should go, we are a 96-unit complex. Well, what would he normally do? Inspect every single unit or just the building in general? How would, how would you expect an engineer to handle that? Well, the engineer would typically only look at the areas where peer work was done, and they're going to do elevation surveys, which I'm hoping that, you, that your contractor did that, uh, and that kind of gives them the high and low spots. Um, now, how long, you said this was done a year ago, correct? It's probably been a year to two years, and to be honest, I, I just can't remember the exact date. Okay. Has the con has it been that way since the contractor worked on it, or is this something that you think's moved since then? No, it's really been that way pretty much from the day they finished. Okay. Um, and the reason I'm asking that, if if it, if it was documented with elevation readings and it was accepted the way it was left, the contractor's pretty much going to be off the hook unless he's a reputable person. Um, if it moved since the work was done most of them would have at least in the first five years anyways a warranty that should make adjustments but if it was left that way they're typically going to say no it was accepted and we're not coming back to make adjustments for free 
So I guess my first objective is to get back to the management of the homeowners board and ask if, in fact, there was an engineer and who it is and get, and get his report. I would assume that the Homeowners Association board would have a copy of that report. Are right? they the ones who paid him, pay, yeah. uh, paid the contractor? Then, yes, they should have a copy of that and should be able to uh, hold the conversations with them. Chances okay. are good the contractor's not going to talk with you since... I'm sure that's true, and I understand yeah. that. Next question. Um, if I wanted to pay someone to come in with a laser and shoot the floor all the way through the condo, would that be possible, and who would you recommend? Well, it wouldn't be done with a laser. They, what's used in, on foundations is what's called a CompuLevel. It's a digital elevation device. Right. And you literally go into each corner of the room and sometimes the middle of the room and take a reading and you can create a topo of the slab from that Uh, a laser level to be honest is is too accurate for a slab because a slab's not tabletop level the day it's built this is a pier and beam foundation typically a pier and beam foundation is pretty darn level the day it's built they're they're actually more level than a concrete slab right so we do know, however, uh, you know, 45-year-old condo complex. It was a building oh, sure. as an apartment complex, and then it was condoed. And I know there are a lot of those in Dallas. But, yep. Uh, just uh, what you would be looking for is either a foundation contractor can do it, do West, we do them, or you can hire an engineer to come in and take the elevations. Uh, but you got to have one who does foundation repair type stuff uh your your normal engineers don't have the equipment to take the elevations i understand okay i have uh, i have an acquaintance who's in in that business i have no idea how <laughs> this is a terrible thing to say about a friend yeah. i have no idea how reputable he is i knowing him i suspect he is reputable but i guess i could contact him and find out who he might recommend to sure to do or you can call me uh, at my office because this is something that's de- that I deal with on a daily basis, and yeah. I'd be more than happy to line you out with an engineer. Okay, very good. I appreciate that very much. All right. You take Thanks. care, John. Debbie, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Hi. I have a question regarding a gas line. I have gas to my house. I have a gas furnace, a gas hot water tank, a gas fireplace, and gas stub out to my dryer. Of course, I want a gas range. Okay. So um, I've been told any a, a price anywhere between $900 and $1,700, and I've been ripped off by um, contractors in the past, so I want to make sure that I'm not going to get ripped off and that I'm actually paying the price of what it really should be. Mm-hmm. So... Um, one, I don't know for sure if there is gas behind there or not. I've looked. I don't see a stub out, but I can't see everything behind there either. Right. So. And honestly, with everything else that has gas that you described, it would really surprise me if there's not a stub out for gas. Okay. Or at least a pipe in the wall for it. Okay. Um, how do I find that out? You know, uh, one way is to, to go in the cabinets underneath and knock a hole. They're going to have to put a hole in anyways in order to run the gas line. Well, you knock a hole in the sheetrock and you find a steel pipe in there, you've got gas. Yeah. Um, 
The other way would be to actually uh, use uh, magnets to see if you can, you know, get any type of, like a stud finder th th a, okay. uh, that has the little swing uh, thing inside of it. All that's doing is finding nails. Well, if it if you go buy that metal pipe for the gas line, it'll swing on it as well. Oh, okay. All right. Um, do you have any idea what the cost is if if it's I'm quoted anywhere from nine hundred to seventeen hundred dollars? It, it's going to depend on a, um, uh, several things. One, if there's not a gas line, where do they have to go to tap into it? Two, are they pulling the permit and getting this inspected? Because City of Plano is going to require a permit. And I'm telling you, the guy telling you $700 more than likely is not pulling a permit and getting the inspection. Okay. Uh, I think you're going to be somewhere, probably somewhere between the twelve and $1,700 uh, is, is going to be the right ballpark range. All, okay. all depending on where they have to tie in and run it. Now, if, if it's underneath there, and all they're having to do is put a stub out and put a valve on it. Yeah, then you're going to be down probably in the three to five hundred range. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there is one other way to to tell uh, if go up in the if somebody can go up in the attic and okay. follow where the gas line is. You should see the stub down going down the wall for where the stovetop is. Okay, I haven't been able to get anyone to do that yet. Ah. Um, you know, they, they just talk about it that, uh, yeah, well, you know, this is what it's going to cost. <laughs> I don't know how they can put a price on if they don't even go up in the attic and look to see where they got to run it from. Yeah, they haven't, so. Yeah, that, that's not good pricing then. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.